You know, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus came as a surprise, did it not, to a lot of people. But it didn't come as a surprise to those who understood the scriptures. You know, when we think of all that Christ went through on the cross, when we think of all that he did, Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into. Did you know that? He knew exactly what he was getting himself into. And uh, in fact, he frequently dropped hints. And, and by the, the end of his ministry, they weren't even hints anymore. He, he told the disciples exactly what was going to happen. If you turn with me to, in, in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Matthew, we're going to be really in, mainly in Matthew, and also, if you want to put a finger all the way back in the book of Exodus, we'll be in Exodus a little bit too. But in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Matthew 16, 21, we see uh, Jesus talking with his disciples. And it says, From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. I say, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, this is Matthew 16, the crucifixion isn't until chapter 27. So we're talking, you know, double-digit chapters away. And before the, 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 the torture, before the death, before the resurrection, Jesus was predicting all of this? Absolutely. And Jesus was predicting this because really what we'll find is the predictions came all the way from back to the early portions of the Bible. And we see this. If you skip ahead just one chapter to Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, we read this. It says, Now while, Je- or while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man, referring to himself, is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. So here he is, he's talking with his disciples and says, it's about to happen. You know, remember all the things I've told you about that it's going to happen? Now I'm letting you know it's going to happen soon. Soon it's about to happen. They're going to carry me away. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I will be raised up. And then the most detailed account we find just a couple of chapters later in Matthew chapter 20. We, we see this in verse 17 through 19. Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem... Remember, he told them it would happen in Jerusalem, so now they're actually heading to Jerusalem. Going up to Jerusalem, he took 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them. So now he's got his 12 disciples, he pulls them aside, and he says this to them. He says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Could Jesus not have been any more clear? Verse 19, says, And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify and on the third day he will rise again so so Jesus knew what he was getting into as it was getting closer I'm sure it weighed heavy on his heart as he was getting closer and closer to Jerusalem he knew what was about to happen and and that gives some special significance but now he's also added this this concept of betrayal and and on on the night before when what we call the last supper it couldn't be even more clear than this even to the betrayal uh, look at this in, verse, in chapter 26, verses 20 through 25. It says, When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. See what he did? just did? He just narrowed it down. It's going to be one of you twelve. They're the only ones there. And they're, and they're celebrating the, the Lord's Supper together. And he's saying, one of you will betray me. Verse 22 and, when they were ex- and, and they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, 
he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it, is, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. Wow, do you get the picture of what's going on at at the Last Supper? He's been talking about this betrayal for a long time. He narrows it down to 12 people by saying it's going to be one of you. And they're all saying, is it I? So Judas, knowing he was betraying Jesus Christ, said, said, well, is it I? Knowing the answer to that. And and so Jesus, it's the one who dipped his hand. And at the same time as you take your bread and you dip it in, they had a a common pot where they would dip the bread in. And he dipped it in at the same time and said, is it I, Lord? And he said, you have said it. Could Jesus have been more clear? But yet there was such a trust in Judas. I mean, they trusted him with their money. He was the treasurer of the group, right? And so even then they thought, no, Jesus, Jesus can't be meaning what he actually said. Why? Because what Jesus was claiming was incredible, right? What Jesus was claiming, that, that he knew the future, that he knew that they were going to condemn him to death, that they were going to scourge him, that they were going to crucify him, and then that he was going to rise from the grave on the third day. That's, that's unbelievable, isn't it? And, and so we find this, this uh, story, and, and, um, and this is all part of the, the Last Supper, the Last Supper, and right there we see significance that maybe we don't understand. In just a little bit, we're going to participate in communion, and, and, uh, and when we think of the, the Last Supper in which communion represents that, do we really understand the significance of the Last Supper? And I don't think we do. And so what I'd like to do today is actually take us all the way back to the book of Exodus, if that's all right. And so start looking for, uh, for Exodus. I'm going to read one more passage in, in Matthew, so don't, leave, uh, uh, don't, don't leave, take your finger out of Matthew 26. But look at this. What we're going to find is, is the, the Last Supper has significance when we understand the First Supper. In Matthew 26, uh, verse 17, this is what we read. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... The disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? That's an important thing. When, the, when, when Jesus and the, and the twelve were sitting together for their last supper together, it's not called just the last supper because it was their last chance to eat together. It's called the last supper because it is the last of something. It, it's the end of something. It is the fulfillment of something that's very important. And so we have to understand that. Now, the, the, the answer to that lies in what the, the meal was. It wasn't just a meal. It was what meal? Passover. The Passover meal. It was the Passover meal that they were celebrating together. Now, to understand a little bit of the historical background, uh, the roots of this go all the way back to the Exodus of Egypt. That's why we're going back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. That's where we'll be. But it goes all the way back to, the, to, to Exodus. And you know, if you remember the history, what was going on, they were slaves in Egypt. And, and God had showed his power over all of the, the nine great gods of Egypt. You've heard this before. Uh, that over the, the, the nine great gods of Egypt, God, one by one, systematically shows his power over them through the plagues. But you forget sometimes that the, the God on earth, according to the Egyptian doctrine, was the Pharaoh himself. And so... And so there's one more plague that has to take place where God shows his power over even the future Pharaoh. And we read about that. Uh, Let's look at Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, 
I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And afterward, he, the Pharaoh, will let you go from here. Remember, after all of the previous nine, Pharaoh said, you can go. He hardened his heart and said, no, you can't go. He enjoyed the, the slave labor. So when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. He's not just going to let you go. He's going to push you out the door. Right? And th- this is what we find here in, uh, in verse 1. But what is that? If you skip ahead just a couple of verses, verse 4 and 5, we read this. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handle, and the firstborn of all the animals. So here we have this last plague, the firstborn. God is showing his power over life and death in this, in this last plague. And this is what, what's, what's happening. Now, by the way, God marked this event uh, as a special moment of history, even before it happened. This is what we find. Uh, what did they have to do for this Passover? We find this in chapter 12. So if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, we can read this together, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron uh, uh, in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. He's saying, you're going to date your calendars by what's about to happen. Imagine that for a moment. Think, you know, how you, you've been measuring time all this time, and now guess what? This event that's about to happen is going to be so significant that the calendars are going to change. And from this point on, the, the Jewish calendar has been based on the exodus, on this event that's going to happen. By the way, that happened one more time in history. Can you think of when that was? Yeah, it's when Jesus, it's with Jesus Christ. So um, we find two times in history where the, where the calendars have been completely changed. Verse, verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to uh, the house of his father, a lamb for his household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count of the lamb. And here's we find the first requirement for the Passover. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goat. So the first thing we find that they had to find a lamb without blemish. Uh, you can't just give, give the Lord the worst of your lambs. Or, oh, this lamb's got a broken leg. Let's sacrifice him, right? That, what God is saying, you want, he wanted a lamb without blemish. And that's going to carry some significance. Look at verse 6. It says, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So here, they had to actually live with the lamb for a while. By the way, if you have children and you have a lamb in your house for a few days, that's not exactly an easy thing to sacrifice it, is it? And and, and yet we find that the lamb had to be killed at twilight. The lamb had to to die. And this is going to teach us some some great doctrinal truths and help us understand what what happened on, on Resurrection Day. As well, let's continue to read in verse um, in verse seven. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where uh, where they eat. So they had to take the blood and they had to put it on the doorposts and put it above the door frames of the lintel of their of their homes. And this idea of the blood covering their their home. Verse eight. Then they shall eat of the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. 
and so they had to they had to roast the, they had to roast it and they had to eat it. Wow, th- this is the this is the requirements of the Passover. Now, with what purpose? Uh, what was the purpose for this? And we find that if you skip ahead to, to verse uh, verse twelve and verse thirteen, and this is what we read there uh, in verse twelve and thirteen, we read, "For I will." Pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. By the way, the word Lord there is his name. It's Yahweh when you, when you see that in, in Hebrew. It says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, thus the name Passover, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Wow, when you look at, when you look at the significance of all this and, and you, see, uh, you, you see the importance of, of this, in this day, this was the only way to escape coming death. And, and they're going to see this, and, and, and so that death would not enter their households. They had to follow these, these simple pr- uh, procedures that, that, that uh, God laid out. For them. By the way, it's important to note here that God's sense of justice is severe, is it not? God's sense of justice. We wouldn't understand the gospel if we don't understand his, his, the severity of his justice. God's justice is so severe that even the Israelites would have died had they not put the blood over the doorposts and over the lintel of their homes. Why? Because we are all sinners. Now, you, there are a lot of good people in here, right? You know, I, 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 I see a lot of faith. I see a lot of people whom I love, and, and, and I, there are some great people in here. But every single one of you, like me, we're sinners. Amen? And in God's sense of severity and his sense of justice, we have violated God's commands, and it should be us on the cross, not Jesus' son. Does that make, or Jesus, God's son. Does that make sense? Oh, it's, it should be us. And so this would have come upon them as well. However, God, in his love, prepared a way. Because just as important as it is to understand God's sense of justice, it is important to understand the depth of God's love for you. He loves you. And he, was, he went to the nth degree to provide a way for you. He did it in the Old Testament in this form here of, of, of the Lamb. But as you'll see, this points us to something even greater. By the way, this became a memorial that they did from that day on. If we skip just, a, just one more verse ahead in uh, chapter 12, we read this. It says, so this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. You know, we're in the second book of the Bible. This is the book of Exodus. This is early days of human history. And they have been keeping the Passover from that day all the way to the day that we find in Matthew 26, where Jesus, being a good Jew, and his disciples following the, the, the Jewish faith, what did they do? They, they celebrated the Passover together. And this Passover that, that, that started in the, in the early points of Scripture had a purpose and was to be repeated every year from that point on all the way to the, to the pinnacle of human history, which we read in Matthew, about in the final chapters of the book of Matthew. So that, that was the first supper. The first supper is the beginning of the Passover. That, the, it's really could be called the first Passover. Oftentimes we call it the last supper. We could call it the last Passover because it's the final Passover. It's the ultimate Passover. 
And, and so now we come to, to the Last Supper, the Last Passover. And that's where we come. If you want to turn back to Matthew 26, where we read this. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant. By the way, the word covenant is the same word for testament. So we had it in the Old Testament. We have it in the New Testament. Which is, it's talking about his blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now the picture begins to come clear. Verse 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so here we find all of the elements that we see in the roots of the story that go all the way back to, to uh, the book of Exodus. And Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all of that. All of the, this was a memorial, as it said in Exodus 12. A memorial to remember something that's about to happen. But what is that something? And Jesus is saying, it's me. I am, I am the one. You talk about a lamb without blemish? You talk about, what, is, what does the Bible say? 1 Peter 1, 17 uh, says that Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. It goes on to say, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout that time uh, of your stay here in fear. He's saying, he's saying, you have to understand the severity of God's justice. Verse 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. You cannot buy your salvation. You cannot buy remission of sins, he's saying. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, you can't do traditions to, to buy your salvation. There is no tradition that you can do that's going to earn your salvation. There are no religious acts. So there's nothing on earth that can save you from your sins. But then what does he say? But... With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see what he's getting at? Jesus is that lamb. He is the sacrifice. And it had to be a lamb without blemish because, because it had to be a sinless God. It had to be someone sinless. By the way, if I, I, I could not die for anyone's sins in here. Amen? Because if I were to die for sins, it would be for my own. Right? The wages of sin is death. death. I would be paying for my own sins. There's no way I could pay for anyone else's. I, and those who know me well say, would say I'd have to die multiple deaths just to pay for my own, right? goes on to say in verse 20, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. This was God's plan from the beginning to help overcome the, the problem of sin. And this juxtaposition between his love for us and yet his sense of justice. And how do you put those together? There had to be a, a fair payment. And we don't have the ability to pay it. But his son Jesus Christ did. And that's what he did for us. The, the lamb, uh, if we continue on, the lamb um, had to be killed at twilight. Uh, and what do we read in, in, uh, in Matthew 26? We, we find that his blood was shed for us. Matthew 26, 28, we just read it. For this is my blood, Jesus said, of the new covenant, which is shed for many, for what? For the remission of sins. Jesus said, I am the one who did that for you. 
they had to put the blood on the doorposts, right? Uh, Romans 5, 9 uh, says that we're saved by his blood. You read, much more than having now been justified by what? By his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Just like all the way back in Exodus, they were saved from the wrath of God through the blood that was put on the post. Now we understand that that was just a picture, that we can be saved from the wrath of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And, uh, and it said that he had to be roasted and eaten. That sounds horrible when you look at that, but John 6 uh, says that we must, we have to receive Christ. Look at the way uh, uh, John puts it, or Jesus puts it in John 6. It says, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there's this sense in which it's, it's not enough just the fact that Jesus died on the cross and, and rose from the, from the grave. That, that's true, and, and, but yet there are still people that will never receive salvation. You have to individually, you have to receive the truth of that. You have to accept the truth of that. And that's what it's saying. By the way, I think it's important here to note um, that you do not have to take communion to be saved. That's not what this verse is saying at all. Amen? Uh, There are those, uh, there are denominations even that would say, uh, well, unless you participate in communion, then you've never eaten of his flesh or you've never drank of his blood. Is that a problem? It's a problem when you read the story of Jesus on the cross and you have one person accept him and receive him. Did that man ever have communion? No. But what did Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. It's also obvious that it's talk about a memorial. Not only did Exodus 11 and 12 say it was a memorial, but, but when Jesus was giving it to them, he said, this is my body and this is my blood. What's he doing? He's, saying, he's pointing to the elements, he, and, and yet his body was right there. His blood was right there so in, inside his body. So that's not what it's saying. The point is not that you have to receive some form of communion to be saved. The point is that, that communion, which represents the last Passover, represents a receiving of Jesus Christ into your life. When you eat something, it becomes a part of you. Amen? Isn't that true? I mean, I know that too much. I got to look right here. <laughs> but when we eat something, it, 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 there, there's an intimate relationship there, and it becomes part of me. And Jesus is saying that's how he describes how we receive him, that we have to, we have to allow him to become a part of us. And it's Christ living in us now. As, as Paul put it, no longer I, but Christ living in me. And we put on Christ in this way. And so uh, here's the point. Uh, when we look at the uh, three things, I, uh, three things I want to share. Number one, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for the remission of sins. He was the only perfect sacrifice for the remission of sins. There's no other God, no other religion, no other human being that could pay for your sins. Secondly, we see that he had to die in order to pay for your sins. This was a gift. This was an act of mercy when Christ died for your sins. But third, we have to receive him. You have to receive him. You have to accept the truth of this, and and you have to receive him. And if you haven't done that, then today is is the day for you to do that. In just a moment, we're going to participate in communion. In fact, at this time, I'd like to ask the deacons to come forward and, uh, and, and take the front row. But as we, as we take of communion, 
you know, I want you to understand a couple of things. First of all, if you have already trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you know, for sure, you've, you've accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then this is a very special event for you, is it not? It's a very special event. Why? Because when we, when we take of the bread and we take of the, the cup, what we're really saying is we acknowledge, and this is a symbol of the acknowledgement, that Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross for me. And, and I can't do it myself. Jesus is the one who did that. And, and it's a celebration because we understand that, that we have eternal life only because of what Jesus did for you. And you recognize that you're a sinner. And that only Christ could pay for your sins. There might be some in here today that would say, you know what, Pastor Dave, I've never done that. I've never, come, I've never understood that. And I've always thought that, that going to heaven was about being a good Christian. Going to church as often as I can. Doing good things for other people. And, and you should do those things. But you can never earn your salvation through those things. You can never earn heaven through those things. The only way, the only way is that just as it was in the Old Testament, the only way was to take the blood of a lamb without blemish and put the blood over their homes so that the wrath of God would pass over them. If you want the wrath of God to pass over you, the only way is through the blood of the lamb, which was Jesus Christ. And, and uh, scripture is very clear. If you don't understand that, you shouldn't participate in, 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 in the communion and I just want to tell you, you know, I want to give you an opportunity right here, right now. Could you bow your heads and just close your eyes for just a moment? If there's anyone in here, that's like no one's really paying attention. It's just between you and God. If there's anyone in here that would say, Pastor Dave, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I have accepted or that I have received Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Would you just lift up your head? Maybe raise your hand just a little bit quietly. And here's what I want you to do. There's no magic formula. There's no magic formula. There's no secret words. But if you say from your heart, if you accept Jesus Christ from your heart, then you could have eternal life. And today could be that day that changes your eternal destiny. And so I'm just going to ask you, if that's you right now, and you, you want to participate in what will be your, really your first communion, then I want you to pray something along these lines. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I do not deserve eternal life. But I also believe that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he died on the cross, not paying for his own sins, but for mine. And I accept this free gift of the forgiveness of my sins. Help me to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to know, if you prayed that prayer today, first, I'd like to talk with you afterwards. Could you just, just let me know if you prayed that prayer afterwards? Just catch me. I don't mind, even if I'm greeting the visitor, come let me know. And I'd love to, to, to have you, or to walk with you through some of the next steps of your, of your relationship with God. I also want you to know that, that as, as a group, we can all participate in this together. If every person in here has accepted Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul tells us how to prepare our hearts for, for communion. And uh, in, in verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 27 through, 20, through 32, we read this. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
But let a man first examine himself, and so let him eat of the drink, or eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. In this time, in this, in this communion, which is a, 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 a memorial of what Christ did on the cross for us, it's important for us to examine ourselves and say, Lord, is there, any, is there anything in my heart that I need to confess right now? And it works great as a checkpoint for us in our lives to, to find a moment where we can just say, all right, Lord, where am I right now? And so as we, as we hear some of the music and as we have some moments where we're passing out the, the elements of communion, I would ask that you would, you would introspectively ask yourself some of those hard questions. Lord, where am I? Ask the Lord, where am I? Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, the psalmist writes. Would you take that attitude to these moments uh, of, of reflection and so that we can participate in communion together knowing that we're right with God? Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of communion. Lord, my prayer, my prayer is that every single one of us in here will be participating from our hearts recognizing your gift of salvation and eternal life. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now that we have a clear understanding of why Christ had to die, and then what happens next in the story takes very special significance for us. If you still have your Bibles open in Matthew 28, we should read this last part together. And this is a great way to to lead into what we're, 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 we're here about today. But this is what we read in, 20, in Matthew 28, verses, verses 1 through 6. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Can you imagine, by the way, how they felt? And their Savior, all their hopes was in their Savior. And he had died the day before. And here they are in, 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 at a real emotional low. But had they really paid attention to the words of Christ, they would have known what was coming, right? And this is what we read about in starting verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was, was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. I don't know about you, but this is the crux of all human history. Amen. To see that Jesus Christ, once and for all, it didn't stop at the grave. It didn't stop with all that he did for us. The story really, really begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so you think, how, how should we respond to this? And I think we could take a few cues from the early disciples. Uh, if we read uh, just the next couple of verses, verse 7 we read, there's the angel talking, and he says, And go quickly and tell, uh, uh, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Verse 8. 
So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. I think the first way that we should respond is very simple. We should get the word out. Amen? You cannot keep something like this a secret. Amen? Oh, that was horrible. You should not keep something like this a secret. Amen? All right. Now, that doesn't sound like a group of people that's going to keep a secret. Secondly, we find in the next couple of verses, uh, we find this. And as they went went, uh, to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. How can we not respond in the same way? Uh, Two other things we find in that verse. Number one, we rejoice. We rejoice in the salvation that we have. We rejoice in the eternal life that has been granted, given to us. And we worship God. Amen. I think there's no better way to close our service than to really worship the Lord. So that's what we're going to do at this moment. We're going to take just a few moments and worship the Lord. And so at this point, I'm going to ask those who are involved in the sticks drama, if they should be close by, to come on up as I pray. And we're going to worship the Lord together through this drama. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I thank you that you did not stay there. And Lord, we, we are so grateful for your love for us that we cannot help but, but do exactly what your early disciples did. Lord, first, we want to get the word out. We want to tell others about this. We, we're going to dedicate our lives to this, Lord. But we also, we, we rejoice, we celebrate, and we worship you. Because only a good and gracious God like you would have done what you did out of love for us. And we thank you in Christ's name.